Atamaria, welcome to First Up. It's Rahina Monday, the 13th of February. Kornathan Rarere Aho coming up as people wake up to assist the damage caused by Cyclone Gabriel. Uh, we'll bring you the updates from around the Motu. Met Service, join us shortly with news from overnight and what's in store uh, for today. Also, we'll talk to News Hub's Lisette Raymer in Turkey. Plus, it's Super Bowl Sunday in the United States, and I spoke to one of the people behind the most lavish show on earth. There are 100 different vendors, 9,400 game day to-go lunches prepared, 30 miles of power cable run, 2 million pounds of concrete, 5 plus miles of fencing. It's quite an operation. Kia everybody. Welcome to First Up. Nathan Rarity here. Yes, we'll update you through uh, very soon with Met Service as well. As we go live, I know a lot of you will, tr- will be wanting information, so we'll do our best to give it to you as it arrives uh, by the second. But we're actually going to start this morning in, uh, I think we're in New York, aren't we? In North America with Mitch McCann, who I understand is at uh, New York Fashion Week, uh, so possibly wearing one of those Sam Smith outfits, I'm not sure. Uh, he's with me right now. Kia ora, Mitch. How are you? Uh, kia ora, Nathan. I'm good, thank you. How are you, mate? I, I'm not sure how I would look in one of those Sam Smith outfits, to be quite honest. <laughs> Anyone that's listening going, what are you talking about? If you have the power of Google, Google it, and then just sit there agog. You'll be agog, which is quite a, a rare moment to have. <laughs> hey, um, yeah, he did look a little bit like a spy balloon. Now, tell me this. The first, um, the, the, there was the Chinese spy balloon shot down, but then another object shot down above North America. What, what was it? What's the latest? Yeah, look, so at the moment, there's been three objects that have been shot down. The first one was what the U.S. are calling a Chinese spy balloon. The second one is unknown. And now a third one has been shot down over Canadian airspace. Now, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau revealed that he ordered an unknown object to be shot out of the sky near the Canadian airspace uh, last night. Now, this follows two objects, as I say, that were shot down by the U.S. in recent weeks. Now, the latest one was directed above the Yukon area of Alaska uh, at the start of the weekend. It was detected and shot down by F-22 fighter pilots, which are jointly managed by a Canadian and U.S. airbase. Now, the decision was made by Justin Trudeau after speaking with Joe Biden on the phone. Now, exactly what this object is remains unknown, Nathan, as does the second object the Americans shot down last week. Now, Canadian officials will recover it and examine what it exactly is and, and where it came from. Oh, yeah, I saw a great tweet last night. Someone going, we just shot down a UFO, but Americans are going, yeah, Super Bowl. So um, that's that's an interesting <laughs> thing. We'll wait for that information. Tell me this um, new information too. This was horrible. Uh, on on the, the suspects uh, and the deaths of four University of Idaho students. What's the new information there? Yeah, this is a really shocking story, and it went worldwide a couple of months ago. Now, the grisly deaths of four American students uh, happened in Idaho in November. And more information has emerged in the last couple of days about the murder accused, a man called Brian Kohlberger and his behaviour around that time. Now, in the weeks around the killings, it's emerged that Kohlberger had a verbal altercation with the professor he was assisting at Washington State University, where he worked, and that he was also accused of strange behaviour by female students. Well, he wasn't found guilty of doing anything towards the students, but uh, the university he worked at, uh, he did lose his job. They fired him. Uh, because he didn't meet professional standards in the way that he was behaving with other faculty members. Now, Kohlberger is being held in jail after being charged with four counts of murder, and he said through his lawyer that he's looking forward to being exonerated, but it seems more and more information is emerging now uh, about Brian Kohlberger. 
Speaking of information, it's not normal that when you commission a research, it fails you. However, <laughs> former President Trump's own campaign commissioned research which failed to prove his claims of election fraud. Yeah, that's right. This happened in late 2020 at the height of Donald Trump claiming uh, uh, that the election was a fraud. It was stolen from him and it happened just before uh, the Capitol riot. So Donald Trump engaged the Berkeley Research Group in 2020 to look at the voting data from six states. Now, this has come out in the Washington Post this morning and it found a number of anomalies and a little few problems around voting in different states, but nothing uh, that Donald Trump thought would overturn the election or prove that he was right. Uh, they investigated 12 claims of election fraud and none of them uh, were found to be substantiated. So Donald Trump, again, uh, failing to prove that that election was stolen from him. Yeah. Hey, Mitch, thank you very much for your time. Enjoy Fashion Week and uh, your uh, chicken wings <laughs> today there for uh, Super Bowl Sunday in the United States. We'll have an interesting old uh, interview coming up about that later. It is nine past five. OK, back here to New Zealand. 24 severe weather warnings and watches remain in place this morning as ex-cyclone Gabrielle bears down on northern New Zealand. Uh, a state of emergency has been declared in Northland for the next seven days while the Auckland Harbour Bridge remains closed this morning due to strong winds. Joining me now for what happened overnight and also what's in store today is Met Service meteorologist Hannah Mose. Hannah, thank you very much for being here. I guess I should ask, where's the cyclone right now and and how bad is it? Uh, Right now it's just off to the east of Northland, um, approximately 200 kilometres east of Cape Reinga. Um, It is quite a deep cyclone, very intense and uh, moving towards New Zealand as we speak. Okay, so overnight, obviously, in the dark, a lot of people would have seen some news last night. What's happened uh, while we've all been, well, in the dark? <laughs> uh, well, the the rain has, has kept falling and, and the wind has kept blowing and um, it is only getting more intense um, as we go into today. So there is a rain band that's moving down into the top of the North Island at the moment. Um, it has been bringing rain to Northland overnight. Um, we've seen about... Um, up to 80 millimetres in the northern region overnight. That's incredible. A huge amount there. You know, people look, I mean, I know some parts of Auckland, uh, it seemed like, oh, there's there's not really much of a storm at all. And then you click on another thing and you see 17,000 uh, have lost power. When you look at where the storm is going today, uh, the best you can tell us, what, what areas do you think are most in the firing line to expect a lot of rain today and wind? Uh, well, as you mentioned, there there is a lot of severe weather watches and warnings out um, covering all of the North Island and the Upper South Island um, for today and into tomorrow. Um, the worst affected regions today are likely to be Northland, Auckland and Coromandel, as well as Northern Gisborne, um, those areas that are exposed to the, the, those strong easterlies. Um, but there is widespread severe weather across um yeah, northern and central New Zealand today. So when you say that, uh, that they will be the worst affected, best guess, how will they be affected? Um, we have read uh, warnings out for Northland, Auckland, Coromandel and Northern Gisborne uh, for both rain and um, severe gale east to south east today. So does that mean that there's likelihoods of flooding? You know, if I have a look on this map and it says it's red, I'm just trying to decipher it for people at home. You know, if I get my warning and I go, oh, it's red, does that mean it's likely to flood around me? It's likely that there will be severe weather. Uh, we don't we don't forecast the, the impacts on the ground. That's the job of council and civil defence. Right. Um, but uh, the red warning means to be prepared, be prepared to, to, um, to, to um, uh, act now. 
Okay, thank you. response thanks. to the weather. Oh, cool. Thank you. So, you know, Northland declared its state of emergency yesterday. Um, can you just uh, tell the listeners up there, uh, just particularly for Northland here, what, how long do you think that this wind and rain uh, will last for them? Uh, so it's it's persisting throughout today. Today's um, going to be probably the most intense period for the Upper North Island. Um, thankfully, the low pressure system does move away to the southeast gradually um, tomorrow. Um, so it, as the winds turn southerly, the, the the Upper North Island becomes sheltered and, and things should ease off there. Originally, when this first appeared, you know, Auckland had just been through a flood, so there was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a uh, horrible feeling there for locals as well, and particularly the Coromandel as well, where, where roads fell away. Uh, just, just update us again, just for Auckland and Coromandel specifically. Um, the um, rain band is moving down uh, currently over. Um, it's currently over Northland, Northern Auckland, and and into Coromandel as well. That's um, expected to bring widespread rain um, throughout today um, for those areas and also Northern Gisborne. Um, and the severe gale um, east to southeasterlies are not expected to ease off much until late today. Okay. Did would you be is is it comfortable to talk about Tuesday? You know, because if it's moving down that way, I'm I'm just doing a massive guess here, and that's why it's great that we've got an expert on like you. So, um, you you mentioned there Gisborne, sort of Poverty Bay. What's the forecast then for that eastern side of the North Island on on Tuesday? Um, similar to the to the upper North Island, although um. They continue to um, see uh, the heavy rain slightly longer um, than the upper North Island, but as things tip around during Tuesday, tip around to the south, um, things do start to ease off for most of the upper North Island. Um, there will still be rain and showers around, but it won't be as intense as it, as it is today. Okay, so um, will Gabriel hopefully be gone from New Zealand by, say, Wednesday? Um, it does move gradually away, but unfortunately, um, it's not just the low centre itself that that um, impacts the country. It's the it's the associated um, spiralling uh, fronts and troughs um, that bring rain and <laughs> and ra- rain and wind to the country. So, um, as she moves away, um, the effects um, spread down the country. So, easing off in the North Island, but the effects spread into um, the South Island with a period of rain likely for. Um, Canterbury, which they'll probably appreciate. Yeah, with the hot weather recently. So, Hannah, just um, what is the best way then if people listening are going right? I, I want to just have this on my phone or something online, and and I'd like to stay up to date with what Met Service has got. How's that? Where's the the best place to find that? Um, the best place to find that information is the Met Service apps. There's there's a several different apps you can download um, that will always have the most up to date information for you. You can also find that information on metservice.com. Wonderful. Hannah, thank you very much for your time uh, for stepping away at such a busy time for us as well. So there we go, uh, Met Service Meteorologist Hannah Mose. It is a quarter past five and you're listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radity. Much news going on, obviously, weather-wise. One thing did jump out and grab me, though, and I spoke about it there with, with Mitch McCann before. Was it a UFO? Yes or no? UFO, yes or no? 2101, or is it some sort of freaky tech, or is that Musk? 
It might be Musk. Uh, uh, UFO, yes, no, or Musk. Those are your three answers. 2101, or you can update us on anything that's happening around you, or even concerns you might have too, uh, weather-wise, and hopefully we might be able to research and find it for you. Uh, let's go to a horrible situation. We go to Turkey now. Joining me now from the ground in the earthquake zone is News Hub's Europe correspondent, Lisette Reimer. Um, uh, Morena, Lisette, thank you very much for being uh, here. Where are you now, and what's the situation where you are? Yes, I've actually just arrived back in Istanbul. So where I am at the moment is relatively or incredibly safe in the scheme of the country, uh, but certainly still a hub of aid coming in and out, uh, desperately trying to get to those worst affected areas uh, where the searches are are well ongoing. And still we're hearing some of these amazing survivor stories defying all odds, really, because the window of opportunity for recovering and, and rescuing people still alive in the rubble was deemed to be well over, but in the 150th hour, we're still seeing these remarkable stories. So uh, still a very dire situation here in Turkey and Syria, of course, uh, the death toll now well surpassing 33,000 people. That is a, just a, a stunning number, but they still are uh, pulling people from the rubble, aren't they? Yes, I mean, one of the ones we had today, which is is remarkable is a toddler a young a young almost baby just just over a, a kind of a newborn age and found in the rubble uh, alive has been taken to hospital for medical care but seems to be in relative well healthy condition considering all she has been through uh, in around 150 hours she was found there's also been a, a 10 year old who was found pulled out of a collapsed building there was also a father and daughter who only had each other uh, for six days in the concrete in a very small crevice underneath the rubble. Uh, They also were recovered today and and rescued and managed to get their medical attention as well. So it is truly staggering uh, to see these survival stories continuing and I guess that's why we're seeing just such a a commitment from the search and rescue teams to keep on going day and night uh, searching for these family members. Lisette, you're in amongst all this. Where do you? Where are you staying? Like, where do you manage to stay? Well, like most people in Turkey at the moment, especially around those disaster uh, zone area, it really doesn't feel safe to be in accommodation at the moment, hotels or even apartment buildings. A lot of people are living in these aid tents. A lot of people are living on the side of the street, which is uh, horrific considering the conditions. As a news crew, we've just been sleeping in our cars, much like a lot of the Turkish population at the moment. And that really is, is the fortunate situation to have a car to sleep in consider yourself privileged really because there are so many people who uh, are doing it so so tough in these below zero freezing conditions the hygiene situation is deteriorating by the hour it is it is quite frankly disgusting uh, some of the conditions that people are having to live in and that is causing a huge concern to health organizations who now really are worried about people developing severe illness and disease in these camps if they have to stay in them much longer, which it undoubtedly seems like they will have to. There's just no way they can get the accommodation uh, back up and restored quickly because of the full scale of the damage. It is just overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, no one wants to live or deserves to live like that. What, what, um, What are they saying about the leadership there in Turkey? 
Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of frustration since the very beginning of this about the government and the president and the lack of response they had in the immediate days, uh, getting search and rescue teams out, getting aid out, and the president is doing all he can to kind of push away that criticism. He has said he's committed to getting people the help they need, restoring homes, rebuilding homes in a matter of year. There's an election coming up. There's a lot of pressure on him to kind of unite the country and get some some support from his soon-to-be voters. But definitely there is a lot of questions being asked at the moment about why more wasn't done to protect the country from something they knew was a very real possibility. This country is very similar to New Zealand. It has that constant threat, that constant risk of earthquakes that people live with all the, all the time. There are building codes in place, but in Turkey, they're not often uh, followed up. They're not uh, regulated. Not, and a lot of questions being asked about why the buildings were in the conditions in the condition they were. And today, we've actually had the first development, I guess, on the blame game uh, in that around 130 people, uh, contractors, uh, engineers, architects have been issued with arrest warrants or even detained already because of uh, the alleged failure to provide accommodation, provide buildings that were up to scratch. Some people are saying that's the president trying to defer the blame and trying to get some criticism off him of him ahead of the election. Uh, but certainly good to see some sort of investigation underway into where the responsibility sits. Yeah. Look, Lisette, thank you very much. Appreciate uh, appreciate you very much being here for us at the First Up audience. That's News Hub's Europe correspondent, Lisette Raymer. And it's 21 past five coming up. Yes, we'll still update you on Cyclone Gabriel. We're actually going to be speaking to the Deputy Mayor of the far north, uh, state of emergency uh, up there. Quite incredible scenes with the surges that they've had. Uh, we'll bring you updates from the rest of the country too. There they are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. And from the fresh produce markets, it's our Minister of Fruit and Vengeance, Glenn Forsyth. Morena, Glenn, hey, um, the producers, how have they been preparing for the cyclone? Yes, Nathan, seems strange in summer. We're giving another weather update, but took the chance yesterday afternoon to call several growers around the North Island. Now, firstly, caught up with John Reed of Bell's Produce in Kaitaia. Drizzly, 60k winds, nothing, nothing excessive yet. But he added worse sum ever. Four times his own paddocks have been underwater in the last year. Can't plant greens at the moment or dig spuds. And watermelon losses over 50% in some places up there. Talked with Jared from King's Avocado and one of their orchards right up in Hohora. They're doing okay, but they're expecting the worst today. Uh, surface flooding, as we know, began again in Whangarei. But the avocado growers in the far north, they're worried about the high winds cosmetically damaging next season's fruit and dropping old season fruit in the bad plenty. Now, Lockie from Delta Coomera in Dargaville, he expected 70 mils of rain Sunday, but no disaster as yet, other than lack of fine weather there since November, which is now compromising Coomera harvesting. And talk with growers in the Bay of Plenty, Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, our most significant produce belt in the country. A little rain, um, you know, yesterday, winds picking up. And they, uh, they're they all just waiting to get through to Wednesday unscathed. You know, you have to feel for our kiwifruit industry there. Some orchards affected by that, you know, fresh central um, frost last October and then swamped by flooding the, flooding the other week. So wind rub and damage from the, the wind element, that's going to be the last thing they need there. Yeah. So, yeah, we're just fingers crossed. How's, how's the year been for imports and exports? 
Uh, yeah, on another note, Stats New Zealand, they say overall fruit exports grew by $8 billion in 2022, so that's everything. But produce-wise, we had a decline in trade value on kiwifruit, avocados, squash and onions, uh, although apples, cherries and potatoes, that they rose. However, what was concerning is our total food imports was up $16 billion in 2022, again putting food imports over food exports. Now, I understand we've had our challenges and regulations over the past few years. However, in horticulture, at least, I believe we have taken it off the ball lately and need to get back to what we know our country and resources can offer, you know, which which includes food security and uh, opportunities on export, again, to reduce our dependency on imports. So we've got to watch that closely. So on to vegetables this week. We are still happily munching through plenty of sweet corn in this household. Uh, they, um, the rest are all C's for more in season picks this morning, such as courgette, celery, cos lettuce and capsicums, and took the chance to check in with Pukakoi yesterday as well, AJ Munger, one of our best garlic growers in the country. He reckons his farm got about 15 mils of rain Sunday, and they, you know, they sure as heck don't need any more right now. However, new season New Zealand garlic, that has begun and looking promising. It's a hit this month, uh, by the way, by five plus a day. And, you know, many sources class it as a produce superfood. Uh, dating back 4,000 plus years, it's extremely good for you. And AJ simply peels and grates it and adds it to many dishes for its sheer magnificent flavour. Tell you what, Glenn, I made a rookie mistake buying a watermelon the other day. I've, I forgot to, that it was per kilo. 20, $23 for that for that watermelon. Uh, yeah, that was quite expensive. Hey, tell me this. Uh, what about Valentine's Day fruit? Are roses fruit? <laughs> yes, starting with flowers in our fruit section today, as it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, we caught up with our main man, Darren Lum. This guy really is a, a flower whiz. And there, you know, there was a weekend auction, so florists could get prepared. The good news is there are enough bunches of 10 red roses for everybody, so the shortages won't be as extreme as what they were last Valentine's Day. But you know, we do supplement our stocks here with plenty, for, too, from Colombia and India. Now, uh, new fruit, you could get, also get your darling some treasures, such as season, new season figs, passion fruit, or kiwi berries. Yes. Kiwi yep. berries, they've started here in Auckland, a lot There's from Tipuki. You, you know, they're, they're nice, say eh? You can eat like a grape, skin mm. and all, but it's a short season for their punchy, fruity flavour, which is about six weeks. Now, best eaten when the berry feels soft to the touch. Lasts a week refrigerated, but you can freeze too and create your very own smoothie mix. Now, also this week, Nate, look out for avocados, buttery as ever in summer. Fresh watermelon, yellow or white fish nectarines are there and easier on your wallet. Royal Gala or Sweet Tango apples from the Fruit Bowl in New Zealand, Hawke's Bay. Thank you very much. There is Glenn Forsyth. Okay, not a fruit. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. It's the 13th of February. Let's have a look at celebrity birthdays. Turning 49 years old, Robbie Williams of Take That and Robbie Williams fame. Happy nearly half century to you, sir. Let's all feel old together. Peter Gabriel is 73. Kevin Bloody Wilson, born Dennis Bryant in Bathurst, is 76 years old today. Stockard Channing, member from Greece, Rizzo, 79 years old today. And also uh, born on this day 79 years ago. This fellow had a really interesting life. Uh, Television host, former lawyer, former mayor of Cincinnati. He was born in the London underground station of Highgate, uh, while his uh, mother, who was Jewish, uh, was uh, hiding from the Germans. Uh, The station was used as a shelter for Germans uh, bombing during World War II. Mr Jerry Springer, 
Remember that guy? And on this day in 1983, while New Zealand was 44 to six, uh, 44 for six, Australia had scored 302. All hope looked lost. Lance Cairns, no shoulders on his bat. The Excalibur, boom. Ken McClay, two sixes, boom. Dennis Lilly, two sixes, boom. Rodney Hogg, two sixes. And New Zealand. Still lost. We lost by 149 runs. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Because that next day, children all around New Zealand went out to the garage and sawed the shoulders off their bats and their parents went, what have you bloody done? And you went, it's an Excalibur, Dad. I've got an Excalibur. Lance Cairns, 1983, six sixes. Gee, we were good in a losing one. Anzaki's with me. Kia ora, how are you? Moreno, very well. How are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, supply and demand uh, was pretty good around the supermarkets of uh, Auckland recently, but there's been a sharp rise in costs for grocery suppliers. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's actually traumatic to do groceries at the moment, isn't it? Uh, it's just uh, shocks everywhere. Yeah. I, mean, I heard the watermelon cost that you mentioned. It was before. 23 bucks. Because I picked it up and went, oh, it's real heavy. This is good. And I'm such an idiot. I didn't look at it by per kilo price. And then there's the bit where you put it on there and you're like, oh, okay. You can't tell your 11-year-old, let's get a watermelon and then pull out when you, you, know, when you could have bought yeah, a pair of shoes. Right, yeah. Pain's parenting. Um, look, well... Uh, we have this uh, monthly survey from Infometrics and Foodstuffs. Uh, they own Pack and Save, New World and like. Um, so they track the cost increases from grocery supplies to supermarkets. Uh, so uh, it just tracks the cost increases that supermarkets face, essentially. And costs uh, from suppliers were up 10% in January compared to a year ago, about the same as December uh, as well. So just a just fractionally uh, lower jump uh, compared to December. Now, Infometrics say, uh, although uh, there's a potential that supplier costs have plateaued, they aren't certain about um, any change in trend. So uh, don't get uh, excited that costs might be stabilising. Uh, still a bit too early to tell. Uh, now, the Infometrics chief executive, Brad Olson, a familiar voice to many, he says uh, among the big movers, produce costs, uh, they've risen quite a bit uh, in the last year, up 22% compared to a year ago. Uh, and the recent bad weather is likely to reduce production and yields uh, of some food items, which unfortunately means supplier costs will uh, be high for a bit longer uh, another big rise is seafood costs, up more than 12%. Uh, butchery costs and frozen foods also up sharply. So the bad news for the consumer here is uh, when supplier costs increase, the prices at the checkouts uh, rise. So more pain for your wallet, unfortunately. Yay. Thank you very much. Uh, with all the fun news that's an Antarctica there from the business team, you can <laughs> you can get sad about money later on on Morning Report at 10 to 7. Uh, let's see uh, what the money market is doing with your New Zealand's dollar at the moment. You can get 63 US cents, 91.14 Australian cents, 59.07 euro cents, 52.23 British pence, 4.3 yuan and 82.79 Japanese yen. Yen. 
Uh, joining me now from the RNZ uh, Sports Chaise Lounge, uh, it's Clay Wilson. How are you, sir? Good morning, Nate. Are you uh, flats or a drumsticks with your uh, Super Bowl buffalo wings? Oh, I don't know. I haven't. I'm not, I haven't really got into the all the <sighs> palaver around the Super Bowl. Oh, but you ever. must. I mean, you must definitely watch the game, but never really. I mean, always been working generally, so there's no time to. Oh, yeah, true. Sit on the couch and eat. By the way, flats food and, with ranch dressing. That's how you do it properly. That sounds pretty good, though. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, the big games on today. Obviously, one of the biggest days of the year in world sport. Definitely the biggest day of the year in American sport. Mm. Um, everything that comes with the Super Bowl. Philadelphia against Kansas City this year. Two teams that have, obviously, in recent years, won the title and they're, they're back there, have been pretty dominant this year. And some great storylines in this year's Super Bowl. Yeah. Of course, we have uh, the brothers' storyline. Travis and Jason Kelsey are going first time two brothers have ever gone against each other in the Super Bowl, which is pretty pretty amazing when you think about how long it is. Yeah. And also makes this next, um, this next stat also pretty cool is that first time two black quarterbacks yeah. have gone against each other, Patrick Mahomes for Kansas City and Jalen Hurts for Philadelphia. So it just, I mean, the Super Bowl is huge anyway, but when you're rapping storylines like that, they just go crazy for a day. I they? saw Patrick Mahomes, whose, whose dad was a baseball player, Pat Mahomes, right? So he, he was an outfielder when he played. Patrick Mahomes was doing a warm-up. I saw him on a video. He can throw a baseball 100 metres, mm. just in the air, and throw accurately 100 metres. He could have chosen either as far as yeah. the, in terms of the, the, the MLB or the, the NFL. Yeah, some some... People are blessed for the world. Oh, I know. Yeah. Here, we we just talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I've got the worst throw in the world. I'm so impressed by people that can throw. Honestly, I am. I just just don't have the mechanics for it. Hey, um, but great news. Uh, Auckland City last night. I wondered with the rain, but um, Spark Arena... uh, is it still Spark? No. Yes, Spark yeah, Arena. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Spark Arena absolutely chocker last night. And the breakers put it on. Yeah, the weather, weather held off enough for people to to feel safe to get along there, and and people do love getting along to see this this team, especially when they they're doing well. So they were playing in the first game of their semi final series uh, last night against Tasmania, and they had a win by twenty points. So pretty impressive last mm. night from the breakers. But the big thing now is that they've got to get to Hobart for game two on Thursday. So apparently they were due to leave tomorrow but their flight got pushed forward to uh six o'clock this morning so in about 20 minutes it's time to try and to try and get out really before the the worst of this this weather hits so hopefully they can get out they're flying to melbourne uh, via melbourne to hobart and then if they can win that game there it's a three-game series they'll be they'll be into that into that final series so pretty impressive when you think where the breakers have come from in the last couple of seasons and everything they've gone through. Incredible to be in this. Eh? And then throw a cyclone into the mix for yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing they haven't haven't faced recently, so no. I'm sure they'll be they'll take it in their stride. They are the masters of the Trans Tasman competition as far as New Zealand teams go, right? They've, Absolutely. they've done so well. Clay, mm. thank you very much for your time. No worries, thanks, there is uh, Clay Wilson of course the sports desk in, uh, in action for you all day. Uh, we'll round up, we'll call it twenty to six. That way you'll get somewhere two minutes early. It's first up here on RNZ National. Still to come, updates from around the country uh, as the cyclone bears down on northern New Zealand. Uh, also joined uh, live by the Deputy Mayor of the Far North too, uh, where a state of emergency has been declared. And uh, I'll look into some of the amazing stats of the Super Bowl with a very special person who's running it all. <laughs> The professionals of Morning Report are with you after six, and it doesn't get more professional than Kim Hill. <laughs> Kia ora, how are you? Uh, well, not feeling that professional. It's Monday morning, Nathan, <laughs> and it's the weather. We'll be bringing you the latest, particularly from the upper half of the North Island, parts of which are being battered, of course, 
as you've been saying, by rain and wind, a lot of things are not working. Mm. Transport, power, crazy times. Um, deja vu all over again. Seems like last time I was on report, we were... That's <laughs> your right. Oh. <laughs> it's not it me. Yeah. The Prime Minister is on the programme this morning because it's Monday. Mm-hmm. And I'm keen to ask him, uh, beyond the immediate emergency, of course, why so many houses have been built and continue to be built on flood-prone areas. And then, of course, there's the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Over 33,000 dead now, and that number is expected to double. Uh, And there's anger about why building codes have not been Mm. followed. So we'll be talking about that. Not many laughs this morning, I don't think. No, what a sta- it's just a staggering number. It's horrible, staggering. isn't it? Staggering. I cannot believe it. It's just, yeah. And then, you know, the time's running out for finding any survivors. There are always those miracles that make your heart jump. Yeah. Kim, thank you very much for Nathan, your time. it's a pleasure. Lovely. Uh, there we are, Kim Hill with you uh, with Morning Report after six. Well, Super Bowl 57 uh, kicks off at midday New Zealand time today at the 72,000-seat State Farm Stadium in Phoenix, Arizona. And while the game between the Kansas City Chiefs and Philadelphia Eagles will be watched by a TV audience of more than 70 million, the main fascination for most of us outside the United States is, who's the halftime show? And, whoa, how do they organise all that? Well, in amongst a giant weekend for the city, of Phoenix is one man is pulling it all together. Tom Sadler is the president and CEO of the Arizona Sports and Tourism Authority, and I spoke to Tom about the machinations of holding such a huge event. Thank you for having me, by the way. And you know, there's a lot of moving parts to the Super Bowl. You know, we have a, a really good crew here at the stadium that runs it day in and day out. But when the NFL, the National Football League, descends on your stadium to prepare it for a Super Bowl, it's a small army of folks. They descended upon us January 9th, and they are still working right now to put the finishing touches on the stadium and the surrounding area to get it ready for the guests that are coming, you know, not just to the game, but for the millions and millions of viewers around our country and around the world. Uh, It's quite a spectacle for sure. This is my third Super Bowl I've been involved with from a stadium perspective, and it just grows and grows and grows. The last one we hosted here in Arizona was 2015, and I would say it's 50 to 75% bigger in terms of the build-out of the interior of the stadium uh, for all of their needs and the build-out of the exterior of the stadium, meaning the parking lots that surround the stadium uh, ultimately end up hosting all kinds of hospitality, tailgate parties, and it's not an official holiday here in the U.S., but Super Bowl Sunday certainly does feel like it. I can give you a few a few interesting facts. Oh, yeah, go for it. We love um, the facts. Yes. Uh, the game day operation. So planning for this event, now it was awarded long before this, meaning they chose us and to host in 2023, several years before the planning started. But just to give you an idea, this planning for this event on Sunday started 22 months ago. And when you think about all the entities that come to Phoenix to assist in the planning, they're coming from all over the United States, as a lot of them are subcontractors of the NFL that are hired to assist with this. And so they're coming from everywhere, and they will come here during that 22-month period, essentially on a monthly basis. So they're here for a week, for a particular month leading up to this. So they've calculated that there were 1,493 flights to Phoenix during that planning <laughs> uh, during that planning time. There were actually, as as we've 
began the build out of the stadium January 9th, there were 45,000 people credentialed to be able to gain access to the footprint of the stadium to do their jobs. For the game itself, there's 5,000 plus media credentialed across all events. You know, there. This is just not an event that happens on Sunday. Hmm. Uh, they really start Tuesday, and every day there's a set of events. A, a lot of them are sponsored or overseen by the NFL, the National Football League. But then there are a number of other events around. We call uh, Phoenix the Valley of the Sun, where there's just so much going on. It's it's beyond comprehension. There are a hundred a hundred different vendors working this event there here's a fun fact to know there are 9400 game day to go lunches prepared <laughs> there are 30 miles of part of a power cable run 2 million pounds of concrete is in place in terms of you know vehicle barriers and those kinds of things five plus miles of fencing and they've added over 20 operational booths in the stadium to be used by the media for broadcasting and whether it's the Hispanic station or there's just, I think there's, I think the game is broadcast in 22 different languages, believe it or not. Wow. And the operational compound, now State Farm Stadium and its footprint is 1.7 million square feet, right? They develop in the parking lots over a million square feet of operational compounds. So you can really get a feel for how massive this thing is to toward the buildup and then the execution. It, it, it's quite an operation. Every time I've had the privilege of being involved, I'm, I'm amazed every time. The stadium itself is an incredible place to be in and experience there. And, and uh, I'm just wondering if you can explain to us, you know, it's an indoor stadium and there's this field. So, you know, one of the things we worry about here is we've only got one of those and we worry about the way the grass grows. T- tell us how you managed right. to, to, you know, make the grass grow nicely. Yeah, so the stadium was designed to be a multi-purpose stadium, meaning it just would not be for the NFL team that plays here, the Arizona Cardinals, or our collegiate football game, the Fiesta Bowl. They wanted to make sure that this facility could host all kinds of events, from concerts to soccer matches, home and garden shows. The the list goes on and on. And one of the key drivers of us being able to use the interior of the stadium is that the entire playing field moves out on what we call a tray. It moves out, takes about 66 minutes to move it in and the same time to move it out. There's some 75, one and a half horse motors that this thing moves in very slowly. But the key is that we're able to grow the grass in our beautiful weather here in Phoenix year round when we need to so that it's maintained to be tops in the country in terms of playability and then obviously aesthetics to look at. And so that's a real advantage uh, to, to what we're able to do. We also, though it's, it's not used for any type of field maintenance, but if anyone tunes into the game, you'll see that our roof opens, not completely from end line to end line, but it gives you the view of the sky and it's just a beautiful amenity to have. But the key is that the grass moves outside and then we're able to load in concerts. We're able to load in all those other events I just described and we probably do here on average 120 events a year. And it's, it's interesting right now, now that we've gotten past COVID, at least in terms of public gatherings, we didn't have concerts here for a year and a half, two years. And now this calendar year, we've probably got eight of them scheduled already. And all of those that have went on sale have already sold out. You know, so we've got 45, 50,000 people. We have two Taylor Swift shows 
coming up in March and then a number of them the rest of the year. And it's all due to the fact that we can move that grass outside and use the floor to load in the concerts and put on a great production. Tom, you, I've, I've got to experience you giving me a tour of the stadium, which was a, a wonderful experience for me. And one of the things that blew me away was the scoreboard, that you have full-time staff in there that are cutting and making videos and graphics, and it runs like its own television studio just for the scoreboard. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and we've tried to, along with our partner, the Arizona Cardinals, the uh, NFL football team that plays here, they have a large hand in working with my agency, the Arizona Sports and Tourism Authority, to make sure we stay on the leading edge of technology. So I can't remember in 18, we probably, when you were here visiting 2018, we probably had the new scoreboard in the south end zone. Mm. Uh, We since last year put a new one in the north end zone. And we just try and stay up with technology. You know, the Cardinals do a great job and they sort of own this. They make sure that we have the highest level of technology as it relates to Wi-Fi and cellular service so that we have 5G. That's as far as my technological understanding goes, so I can't get into details. But, you know, that's all about the guest experience, right? I mean, if you've got a crystal clear scoreboard for replays and other kinds of entertainment things of value, you have a great sound system, you're able to take a picture of yourself and your friend and send it back to other people without any hitch and all of that. That's really the goal, because you really want to walk out of here and go, that was a fun place to go to an event. And I can't say we hit that 100% of the time because there's a lot of moving parts, but uh, we feel good about our reputation for sure. Do you know much about, I guess, the you know the accommodation? Because so many guests coming into Phoenix itself, do, do you know like how many visitors would come in or even, you know, whether, is there enough places to put people up? Well, you know, that's interesting, but there is another iconic event happening right now at the same time over this four-day period. And it's a PGA golf event called the Waste Management Phoenix Open. And that is, think about this, for one round of golf on Saturday, at that particular course, they're known for their hospitality. They're known for it just being a raucous time. Uh, And it's developed that reputation. People come from all over the country and maybe all over the world to go to that golf tournament normally. And it's happening right now. They're expecting 215,000 people at that golf course on Saturday. And that's probably about 45 minutes from here, northeast. So, yeah, the the hotel rooms are scarce at this point. (laughs) The rental cars are probably a little scarce, but we geared up for it. We know that uh, these folks were coming, and we have such a great tourism industry here. I'm sure all of those needs were handled. That's Tom Sadler, the president and CEO of the Arizona Sports and Tourism Authority. By the way, the halftime show is Rihanna. Uh, The game kicks off at midday. Well, of course, uh, the big news in New Zealand uh, is uh, Cyclone Gabriel, and uh, in the Auckland studio with me is our reporter, Jonty Dine. Jonty, thanks very much for being here early and gathering it all up. So just, um, uh, what have you managed to gather up about it, and uh, what's what's happened overnight? Uh, well, quite a lot. I mean, uh, Gabriel has wreaked quite a bit of havoc overnight. Northern was pretty hammered in particular. Uh, some areas saw up to 80 millimetres of rain, uh, gusts of up to 148k. Uh, north of Auckland, Walkworth saw uh, 46 millimetres, and a lot of areas in Auckland also got those 100 kilometre winds. Yeah, pr- pretty uh, pretty windy on out there as well. So, And I guess people want to know about just if affected areas too. Like When you've got wind and you've got rain coming in like that, you've normally got damage. Uh, any reports of that? 
I uh, certainly have. Uh, Fens were very busy overnight, 180 calls for them uh, relating to uh, damage such as fallen trees on houses, uh, blown windows, uh, loose roofing. Uh, there are currently 25,000 customers without power and companies are warning people to be prepared for quite a wait without power. Uh, ferries and trains are cancelled across Auckland and of course most schools and the university will be closed today. It's funny isn't it because quite often you think if it's not happening in your own house you're like oh build ups like not much happening and then I went on I think I checked one of the apps and it's like 17,000 houses without power not even too far away from where I live out West Auckland way too so but it sounds like the Auckland authorities have actually been quite proactive this time. Certainly have, yeah. So we were all caught a bit unprepared um, a couple of weeks ago. Mm. So, yeah, far more preparations uh, underway this time. Yeah. So as, as far as you know, what's in store for the rest of today? Uh, well, Gabriel's uh, currently lying east of Northland, heading closer to Aotearoa, and Metservice says it's going to get more intense. So heavy rain, severe gales. Uh, Coromandel is set to be the worst hit today, mm. and uh, self-evacuations are recommended on the in the coastal areas of Coromandel. Uh, and Aucklanders, of course, are being advised to stay home. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, sandbagging going on, which I thought was pretty cool. The way that um, you know, like pe- people were helping each other with that, and and certainly where I live and friends that I know, it was one of the first times people did the whole, "Hey, man, if you need anything, just let us know," and all that. So I think that's, you know, maybe that's it. So that, look, that the Harbour Bridge that will remain closed for the day? Wakakatai said it's likely to remain closed all day, yeah, just due to the risk of those high winds. Okay, okay, so that's uh, the reports from up here. John T, thank you very much. I know that you and the team will be right across this all day, so thanks very much for your work. There is uh, our RNZ reporter, John T. Dine. Uh, so that's uh, the reports that we can gather, and as you heard there, the state of emergency has been declared in Northland, and that's uh, for seven days. So Kelly Stratford is the Far North Deputy Mayor, also chairs the Northland Civil Defence Emergency Management Group, which declared that state of emergency yesterday. Kelly, thank you for being here. You must be exhausted. Oh, I've had a good night's sleep here um, in Haruru Falls last night. Thank you. I'm, I'm doing good. Oh, that's good. That's good. I wonder, you know, your phone normally rings hot in, in that sort of situation. So so I, I guess for people, why was um, what is it that you look at and you go, right, this makes it necessary to declare a state of emergency? Uh, it's, it's mainly what the response efforts require in in the community. So fire and police, if they get a sense that um, there may be some homes that need to be evacuated due to flooding, the declaration gives them um, the, gives them more powers to be able to uh, remove people from their homes that may be reluctant to move. Okay. Well, tell us about, you know, when you've got this sort of storm surges coming in and very high winds and, and rain as well, how much damage to homes and infrastructure is being reported to you? Um, it's a bit hard to tell um, road, road-wise, but um, there are things like water treatment. There's a water treatment plant that has had to have a electrician deployed to it we do have enough water you know for, for a few days but um in the light we'll see what's happened to the road so far uh Paihia waterfront and uh, along the coast from the from Bangalore to um Doubtless Bay some of the coast has been pummeled with waves you know over the road as if the road doesn't even exist so we'll have to look at that in the light of the day probably tomorrow because those waves will continue today um, the um, 
our lifelines infrastructure such as power and um, broadband. I'm on my Spark phone today. Um, in, 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 a, in the north, it's helpful to have a Spark and Vodafone line in your house because um, Vodafone's challenge today is the coverage is dropping in and out because of the power outages. Um, we know that Top Energy has um, re- will be resuming repairing lines. Uh, they stopped late last night, but they worked all day through um, the winds yesterday. But um, they had to make a call last night for safety purposes to um, take a break, and they'll resume. We've got a lot of homes out of power tonight. I, I can't see the, the number this morning, but um, there's pockets across the far north without power, and they were without power all day yesterday. So I really feel for those people who are getting worried. Yeah. Now, um, where can people go to get help if if they need to evacuate or if they've got to this point and they've gone, I've got no power here, I've had it for, you know, haven't had it for a long time and and this is actually getting to me a bit? Uh, So getting to them a bit, well, as long as they don't need power for medical equipment, they really just need to stay put unless they can unless the roads are cleared and many of our roads are cleared they can get to family and friends um, we have got a number of communities that are poised and ready to open uh, evacuation centres for flooding but um, we're not seeing signs of that flooding yet we could later today as the high tides rise at about one o'clock around here um, I've got a number of marae in the Hokianga and what else are the others? So Whangaroa and Hokianga, they're, they're open. Um, but therefore, they're not... So one of the key pieces of advice, I really um, urge people to take, take control of what they can. Um, you can't control the weather. You can have a plan. If, if you're anxious, reach out, call a friend, but please um, just hunker down and have a cup, you know, have cups of tea. If your power's not on, hopefully you've made preparations to have your gas stove so you can, you know, prepare your food or you've got other other items in your cupboards that you can prepare. But do ring our council 0800 numbers. There's one for the Far North District Council, Kaipara and... Whangarei listed on the Northland Civil Defence Facebook page, but also listen out to the radio. More of them is, is making daily and you know, hourly announcements. So if you can't have if you can't hear things on um, you know through the internet, you can through the radio. Yes. Um, I urge the um, TV stations too to put those numbers out, please. Um, and if, if you can, um, I'll send them through to you on um, on a text after this if you could Announce those phone numbers. Well, the merge is because... off. Um, no, no, no. I'll, I'll do it. No, sorry, no. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely pass the, uh, that one on. Kelly, thank you very much for your time. This year's uh, Far North Deputy Mayor, also Northland Civil Defence Emergency Management Group, and of course they will be uh, out having to uh, have a look around many things this morning in the light of day. This is uh, Rihanna, who is playing the halftime show at today's Super Bowl. If you're in a fortunate position to be able to think about some sport this afternoon, lucky old you.
Uh, Morning Report is next. Kim and Corin hosting that one for you. From all of us here at First Up, be safe today. We're back in your ears, our Popo.